<clears throat> so in chapter 11, we saw that the measuring rod, which all true believers will be measured by, is God's measuring rod, His standards. Not a man made one, not a man created one, but just by God and God's alone. We don't get to decide what they are or how to measure. Uh, God has already decided that and has gave us a how-to guide for dummies, if you will, to see how to... So, so we can see how to apply and use this measuring rod and instruments manual. Uh, an instruction manual was given. An instruction manual is so easy to understand, you have to really work hard to muddy it up. Uh, but a lot of you wise will understand this. Uh, what's the first thing men usually do with instructions when they open a box and put something together? Look, I don't need that. So it's <laughs> Only to have to go back later and pick it up when they got like 30 extra parts laying around and hey, What's this do? But we all are guilty of that. A lot of people can be broke down into three categories. <clears throat> they read the instructions as they go, only reading the exact step that they're on, and they have no idea what's coming in the future. They don't read it at all and just fly by the seat of the pants, or there's the ones that sit down and read everything start to finish, and then go and start working on the projects. And sadly, that fits most Christians as well. Most Christians will fall into one of those three categories. We always want to make sure that we're in the last category, the ones that read the whole thing from start to finish, and then we know what's coming and how to apply, and nothing catches us as prize. Paul says in one of his uh, sermons, he says, But you are not children of dark that this day would come upon you as, as a thief in the night. He says, You know, I've given you enough stuff, enough warning, enough instructions that you're going to know and be able to tell what's going on. <clears throat> The Bible in its simplicity instruction is so easy to understand. As I said, you have to really work hard to muddy it up. But the man has done a wonderful job of doing just that. Between uh, private interpretations, uh, doctrinal bias on the commentaries and things of that nature, they've really made it difficult to know just, just what this was. Uh, there are a great many commentaries out there, and some of them are real good, but most of them have a doctrinal base behind it. They want you to come around to their church's way of thinking. And so it's very hard to know which one to trust and which one's not to trust. And you have to take them all with a grain of salt. Uh, in verse 3, we saw that only the true worshipers were measured in Lent. Uh, he says, do not measure the ones out in the courtyard. We saw the pictures on the board last time. The courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles. These would be the pretend worshipers. The lukewarm worshipers, those who were not fully bought into God. He says, don't even bother with them. He says, I only want my true worshipers measured. Uh, and then also we were introduced into the two witnesses last week. Uh, we saw uh, examples of this before, uh, like in Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, and then in this case, they were the house or the church of God in His Holy Spirit or the Word of God in Zechariah. And it could very well be the same thing here. Uh, like I said, there's lots of things it could. It could be the Old and New Testament. It could be a new church uh, or whatever it may be or two leading churches. Whatever we don't know. There's some things, everything wasn't recorded in history. We all ain't got the time to scan through it. We, we just honestly don't know. And so what is important is know that God uh, always leaves himself a witness. Always has a witness. Always has a remnant. And these remnant will always testify of him and his spirit. Uh, 
We talked about how they thought they had killed the witnesses. Uh, and how they celebrated and partied and bought gifts and things of that nature. Uh, or not, no, actually, we didn't get that for you. Uh, but yeah, we did. We talked about how they killed the witnesses and then God brought them back to life. Uh, this could be something like the way that they persecuted the church and corrupted the church, but then the church sprang back in the Reformed church, the pure church. Could be something like that, or were the uh, Catholic Church locked up all the Bibles? You was banned from having the Bible. If you got caught with the Bible, you just took out and killed or burned. The Bibles were literally chained to the pulpit, and no one was allowed to look at them except for the church. That way, they got to decide what they told you was in the church. But then the printing press came about, and the Word of God was unchanged, set free, and brought out something. It could look like a bunch of these different things. What it is, like I said. We don't know. We're not going to try to trace it down and run it down. What's important is the meaning behind it. That God always leaves himself a mess, uh, witness. <clears throat> ben, if you were talking there just a minute, I want to uh, go back to this segment about people that have dissected the Bible. And I think sometimes we dissect it too much, okay? We are children of God, okay? God does not want us to be PhD students. You know, that we all have to be PhD students. It's breaking down every little syllable in the Bible, okay? You agree with that? <clears throat> we, yes. We, there's, now, I'm not talking about not studying the Bible. I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about, you know, and sometimes we, sometimes man's ideals are not God's ideals, oftentimes, okay? For instance, you may have a great education and you want your little girl to have the best education, and you think, wait a minute, she just wants to finish high school and she wants to work down here at the nursery, and she's married this guy that he's got a job driving a truck or something, you know, I mean, just regular people. And that just don't suit me. How can she be happy? But she can be very happy a lot of times because that's where she that's where she found happiness with this with her education, <clears> her <throat> job, her, her family. And sometimes we think people need to strive for more. We as Christians can find happiness in the Lord, okay? And we don't have to be the PhD with three different, you know, numbers after you know, letters after a night. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about God wants us to walk by faith. There's things we don't understand, there's things we will never understand. We walk by faith, not by sight. We study God's word to show ourselves approved, and we find out what the Bible tells us. We do that, and we, and we should live happy and contented lives and working, working for the Master. Kind of going on what Shepard said. You get into a lot of churches of Christ, and I'm visiting and getting to know people. They only want certain people to be preaching and teaching to spend to Bible college because they're the only ones that's really studied and really knows, and it's kind of like they're smarter about the Bible, so they really push, go to Bible college, go to Bible college. Not even go to Bible college, like Shep said, you don't have to go to college or be somebody's PhD. Anybody can preach, you know, as long as you study. But there are some things that if somebody did do all that, like for example, the uh, bear sheep prophecy we looked at, like in the beginning, we went back and broke it down. We see how it was predicting Jesus' cross and how it predicted his birth and the church and establishing all that. And the Bible tells us, it's like the Ethiopian eunuch. He says, you know, I can't understand all this. And he said, how can I understand unless somebody's willing to teach? But we need those people. The Bible says that different gifts and talents were given to different people. Some wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And we need to rely on them. But yeah, I, I, I do believe that a person can drive themselves crazy. Or That's what I'm talking about. Wear themselves out trying to understand every little detail of the Bible. And I believe that can be a danger. Uh, like the 
Felix told us, Paul said, you drove, much learning has drove you mad. And, and you can't get to that if you're, not, if you're not careful. But I do that some people have that desire, that talent, that ability to get in there and dig and study and study. But, and I also agree with you, John. You don't need to go to Bible college. Uh, I, I've had a lot of preachers who have it, have it. And to tell you the truth, there's no difference between one or another to me. I've seen them just, as, you know, just the same way. I don't think you have to have a Bible college. I think uh, anybody, if you're willing to invest the time, the resources, uh, or just correspondence courses you can take, not only here, but the World Video Bible School, uh, Bear Valley, and Colorado, uh, all these different places you can go learning. But no, you don't need to know every little thing, but what we do need to know is what we need to know for salvation and have our faith. And then go to classes like this. Yes, right. <clears throat> They're in the classes, and I, I'm not educated. I took some courses here and there, but I, I'm not one of these. But even the preachers that are educated will tell you they learn things in Bible class from you all, from everybody else. And this is what this isn't my class. This is our class. I learn from you all. You all learn from me. But yes, you can drive yourself crazy just trying to figure it all out. Where did Cain get his family from? Where did Cain get his wife from? It doesn't matter. Where did the dinosaurs go? How long is the sun going to burn out? Yeah, just, those things are insignificant in every world. The revealed things belong to us. The secret things belong to God. I don't care how much studying, how much work you want to do. The secret things are not going to be revealed to you. They belong to God and God alone. Even John the Apostle, when he's talking with Jesus and having these visions, and he saw this thing, they said, no, no, don't write this part down. This God has said is my secret thing. So. And we've talked before that in the Middle Ages they said that they, 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 they argued for 400 years about what the angels' wings look like. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's stupid. I mean, that's just the best way to say it. It's stupid. I would not spend one wasted second wondering about what an angel's wings look like. I mean, <clears> we don't know. What will your body look like? The Bible says it will be a spiritual body in heaven. That's all I need to know. If, you know you're not given in marriage. You know, people aren't. And, but you will recognize people. That's what the Bible tells us about him. And you will have a spiritual body made in the image of God, and it will be perfect. That's all I need to know. You know, will it have legs, arms, fingers, eyes? You know, it won't have anything that we have right now. But I have no idea what it looks like, nor do I care what it looks like. As long as I'm in heaven with God, that's what's fine. And I think we could, the Bible says, comfort one another with these words. You know, Paul, when he's talking about how the Jesus will come and take us back to heaven, we should come. It's not comfortable if you say, well, I don't know, it's just going to be, I don't know, it's just, you know, and you're fretful and you're, and you're showing that fretfulness to the people that love you and looking up to you. It's a terrible thing to do, you know. We are God's little children, and we need to, we need to, I'm counting on that, you know, I'm counting on that. Uh, Jessica used to stand in my hand, <coughs> I could hold her in one hand, I was stronger, and she was littler, and I could hold her in one hand, you know, just like this. And when she was about a year and a half old, okay, she had great balance, and she trusted me completely because there's no there's no way I'm gonna let that baby get hurt, okay? Because she, how how am I gonna do it? I don't know, but I'm gonna make sure she's gonna be hurt, okay? And uh, and she enjoyed doing it because it was fun. Uh, that's what we have to do with trusting God. You know, God will take care of us, whether I have cancer or heart disease or kidney failure, or killed in a car wreck. <coughs> Once I die, the Lord so shall I be with Him, and that's we we should comfort each other with that. Yeah. <clears throat> like I said, this is your all's class. It, uh, just as much as it is mine. Uh, in verse 7 it says, When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war on them and overcome them and kill them. Uh, we looked at possibilities of what this could be looking like in chapter 9 with the Arabians and the, 
and the Roman persecutors and uh, or even the papal Rome, uh, the killing of the two witnesses. <clears throat> if these witnesses were church leaders or prophets in the style of Elijah and Enoch or attempt to destroy the word of God, we can't say, but the Bible tells us that they thought they'd killed him and destroyed him and done away with him, but God showed them different and resurrected them. It could be something like, say, like the Reformation movement, a great revival, the printing press. Uh, but we just we just simply can't know. Uh, but Daniel paints a pretty good picture of this in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, starting at verse 19, it says, Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the other beasts here. He's talking about Rome. He said it was a very dreadful one, with two horns and with iron teeth and bronze claws, and it devoured, crushed, and trampled anything that was left with his feet. I also wanted to know. Uh, also wanted to know uh, the meaning of the ten horns on his head, and this, and the other horn that came up before which uh, three, uh, three, three <clears throat> which. Three others fell. Rome, and this was Rome destroyed, but then we see the, the Roman church rising. Sorry, I've got this thing keeps coming up on my screen. Here. <clears throat> uh, and then the horn, which uh, had the eyes and mouth speaking arrogant things, which appearance was uh, more formidable than others. While I was watching the horn, it began to wage war against the holy ones and was defeating them. Until the ancient days arrived and judgment was rendered on them in favor of the holy ones uh, of the Most High God. So here we see, you know, Daniel painted a pretty similar picture to what, what John is here saying. This is, way back in Daniel, he was prophesied about Rome. And John is continuing on with that prophecy. <coughs> in verse 8, it compared, uh, it said, uh, great mystery which is called Sock. And their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. So spiritually, Sodom, we see the same type of uh, language in Isaiah 1.10 about the apostate church or nation. Uh, it said, if the Lord of, of heaven's armies had not left us a few survivors, we quickly would have been like Sodom. We would have been become like the Lord. Listen to the Lord's message, you leaders of Sodom. Pay attention to our great God's rebuke, you people of Gomorrah. So it's not talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's talking about the apostate church. The apostate world, the world has turned away from God and now is attacking God's elect. And there we're talking about Egypt. Uh, again, this is speaking metaphorically. Egypt was God's people's cruel taskmaster. He kept them in bondage, kept them in servitude, and fought against them. Uh, and just like that, Egypt, though, God saved his remnant, delivered them from them, and destroyed the Egyptian army. He will do the same here as well. So that, again, this is all speaking symbolically, metaphorically, but it does have the real true meaning. <clears throat> uh, it says their deaths were celebrated greatly, made into a big holiday out of it, like the Romans celebrating that the martyred Christians and the apostles are celebrating, uh, taking, uh, where Jerusalem was took over by Islam with great celebrations and feasts. Uh, and this is the same thing here. It's talking about people were so glad that these people of God were shut down, that the Bible was killed out, whatever it was be. They said, let's celebrate, let's call it a big festival and giving gifts and things of that nature. But the celebration was short-lived. Like we said, God raised the worshiper, uh, the witnesses. 
and breathe life back into them. Then it says there is a great earthquake after this. That is a great upheaval, a shaking up of powers or nations is what it's referred to here. Not literally an actual earthquake where 7,000 people were killed, but again, seven being a perfect number. But this is a great upheaval that's coming about and it's going to be cast against this Rome. In verses 15 through 19. Uh, it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has come, the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power. And have begun to reign. <clears throat> the nations were enraged, and your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, those who fear your name, the small and the great, and destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is <clears throat> in heaven, was opened, and the ark of the covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and great hailstorm. So the kingdom of God, <clears throat> the kingdom of the worlds had become Jesus. Uh, some say that this is referring to the fall of the Jewish state and the gospel being spread out through the Gentile world. Uh, others say this is where uh, Rome was attacking the Christian church at first and then we eventually got Christian leaders of Rome how Christianity spread throughout all the world from Rome here. Uh, again, any and all of these are perfectly fine. Uh, some say it's even still yet to come. <clears throat> it makes no difference which, whichever event was. <clears throat> we are, uh, the principles is what matters. God is in control. Everything is going according to plan. No matter what the world looks like, it's going according to plan. God's will is being done. Amen. And he will win in the end 100, 1,000%. That's what the whole book of Revelations is. That's why it's put at the end of the Bible. This is, you know, you want to jump ahead sometimes to a good story and see how it ends. That Revelations is telling you exactly how it's going to end. God wins. <clears throat> so application time. From tragedy to triumph. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my allergies are really bothering me this morning. God's unchanging plan remains in motion and on target. Uh, with his hand empowers a person's life and ministry. That ministry continues until God brings it to completion. Even death can't stop the legacy of a faithful ministry. Right. They can do and, and they can and do live on in their teachings and their witnesses. Like many Christians uh, book, uh, have wrote books in the past that reach out even to the modern day times that they still speak through. Uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. Very good book now. I tried reading the original and I'll tell you the truth. I, it's, it's hard, hard reading. But they've got it in modern day age, and it makes it much more understandable. Uh, <clears throat> but there's a lot of books out there that are written by Christian authors, even though they're long dead, they continue on. And also rock, uh, radio programs and TV programs and TV shows. There's one guy out there, uh, I don't agree with everything he says, but I still listen to his program because I agree with some of it. But it's uh, J. Vernon McGee. And I don't know how long ago he died, but I'm guessing 20 or 30 years ago he died. But, He's got a radio program called Through the Bible. And he teaches it through the Bible each day, one, one chapter at a time. Uh, Hunter Miller 
If you go to Maple Avenue Church of Christ, 100 meters, been left Maple Avenue 30, 40 years ago and been dead several years, but you go down in the basement of Maple Avenue, he's got the set tape down there. I've gotten them out, checked them out, listened to them, you know. Same one thing we're doing here with Daniel's sermon. Uh, sermons being put on Facebook and YouTube, the podcasts. <laughs> Something happens to us, our teachings can still go on, our witness can still continue even after we're long dead and gone. Although it may be possible to silence the voice of a man who bears witness to the truth, the truth, once it's been proclaimed, remains indestructible. You can never kill the truth once the truth has been let go and released. <clears throat> One major truth emerges from the account of the two witnesses. God transforms tragic situations into triumphant events. Underdogs become overcomers. Weaknesses is changed into strengths and overwhelming obstacles lead to magnificent opportunities. <clears throat> Today, positive thinkers and motivational speakers try to inspire us to accomplish great, wonderful things, to embrace our true potential, achieve our personal goals, all in our own strength. Many Christian leaders advocate for a life of success, health and wealth, and personal happiness. You know, that Cadillac religion I always call it. Yet when we contrast this, this uh, me-centered philosophy with the heroes of the Bible and the saints of history who have accomplished great things for God by His power, both the motivation and, <clears throat> and the outcome stands at sharp contrast. All the glory goes to God and should be God, not ours ever, ever. The Bible is filled with great examples of God using outcasts, underdogs, regular Joes like you and me, to accomplish his will. For example, David versus Goliath. Uh, we all know about Goliath being a big, tall giant, being this great, big old man. Well, guess what? So was Saul. Saul, the Bible tells us, was head and shoulders over everybody. Saul was Israel's giant. Goliath was Palestine's. Israel had their giant too, but where was Saul? Saul was hiding in his tent. It took a little bitty old shepherd boy to go out here and take care of this giant. Uh, the same way with Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. We had one godly prophet versus, what is it, 50 prophets of Baal? I can't remember how many it was, but he ended up killing every one of them with a sword. One man. Now Gideon and the 300 men versus the thousands of Midianites. Uh, Esther versus Haman. Uh, Jael, uh, where she killed this, the general Sisera with the tent pad being tent. You know, ordinary people can do great, wonderful things when they trust in the Lord and make the Lord their strength is so, their source of strength. Our God delights in turning tables on the world's uh, mindset that bigger is better and only the strong survive. In a world that seems uh, sees success and accomplishments as the ultimate standard for determining a person's worth, it's easy to forget that God often chooses the small over the large and the remnant over the masses. Uh, you see that the mass church, the main church always throughout history has gone astray. He's gotten silent. God always has this little group, this little small group, little country churches everywhere that are driven. So I've got some homework time, uh, some sheets to hand out for some homework. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be passing these out. Uh, don't have to bring them back, but this is just a way for you to kind of get your mindset into things that goes here. I challenge you to dig deep uh, in these stories. Here. <clears throat> yeah, I like verse 19 there, that last chapter chapter 11. The temple of God was open and the Ark of the Covenant was seen in His temple. Uh, we will have access to God. 
Yes. Uh, that means not just the high priest, but all of us can go to have access with God. And that's fantastic in every detail. Uh, it's not hidden. It's no longer, there's no road, there's no <coughs> It's We have access to God. And that's, that's our only goal in this life, is to find that access to God. And that's what we find. Yes. Now, that was a great thing about that. When Jesus died on the cross, the, the temple curtain, the curtain separated the, the everyday church of people from going to the high priest going to the Holy of Holies. It was ripped yeah. from the bottom up. So we have, here on earth, we have access to God. Uh, on these handouts I'm giving you, I've got some Bible people and their chapters and verses about their life. Uh, i like for the next few days or over this next week to... Focus on the weaknesses uh, that they went through. See uh, how God used them and the, and the great things that they were able to accomplish. Uh, for example, here uh, for Moses, you know some of his weaknesses and tragedies, uh, being run out of Egypt for fear of that, uh, being discovered about killing a guy, his uh, not being able to speech, his stutter. And on and on we can go with the different things that happened to him in his church. But what did God accomplish with him? And we see the great wonderful things. Then out here at the very end it says, list some of your weaknesses and tragedies. So beside each one you're going to go through and read and study. Write down some of the weaknesses here. But write down what God was able to do through these people. And then right here, write down some of your own weaknesses. But yet what can God still do in spite of those weaknesses through you? Because a lot of us think that we get stuck in that mentality like the spies who went into Israel. You know, we were grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were grasshoppers in their sight too. They shot themselves in the foot before they even got started. And we do the same thing. Well, I was this. I did that when I was young. You know, I, I broke this law. I got arrested. I did this. God can't use me. Well, you're wrong. God used a lot worse than you. Right. God has used thieves, murderers, liars throughout history. And he can use us. Uh, growing up, I was one of the meanest, wildest people there ever was. But God has put that past behind me, and now I'm being used by Him. I hopefully I'm being used by Him the way He'd like me to be. So we can never shut ourselves, sh sell ourselves short, or say that God can't use someone like me. God is looking for someone exactly like me. Also notice that the ultimate access to God is by His grace. The image of the open temple in heaven that Roy illuminated to in verses 19 shows us that believers stand in an open relationship with God based on the forgiveness purchased by, his, by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. We can have confidence as we, work, as we approach Him. The Bible says, approach God with confidence. Now, we're not born again to a spirit of timidity or fear or weakness or Oh, 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 but a spirit of courage, a spirit of bravery, a spirit of this is our God, our daddy that we're going in. And so this is a beautiful, beautiful picture painted for us. Dad, sometimes I think people confuse uh, being humble when they talk to God as being timid and shy sometimes. Because when you hear some people talk, oh, they're not confident, they're not outspoken or got or not outspoken, bold in their statements, they're kind of they replace, they, they have a misunderstanding of humility and weakness not being the same thing. Yes. 
Yeah, a lot of people do the same thing with meekness and weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Power under restraint. That's why I don't like looking at these paintings and renditions of Jesus that they paint and make. They make him look like some sickly, weak person because he's meek and mild and all that. They've made him out to be some weak, anemic, sick-looking person. And that, that ain't necessarily true. That's not true at all. And, and somehow, he de somehow he developed long hair and blue eyes along the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's 33 years old in the prime of his life, and he's spent the life, his whole life, he's been working and walking. And living off the land, I mean, he was a, I guarantee he's stout in the back. You, know, you, you don't go 40 days without food and have a few little skins out. He's stout as a back. And, and really, 33 years old, you're in the prime of life. Yeah. yeah. He's a perfect, perfect specimen at that point. Like God's exactly right. Uh, any comments or questions about chapter 11 before we move on to chapter 12? And back to that, when he cleans the temple, they wouldn't hear a whole lot of pushback against him either. Way. No. <laughs> I didn't hear nothing. There's nothing recorded about, well, let's fight this guy or let's yeah. whip him back. No, they skedaddle those people did. And those weren't little bitty, like, no. coffee tables that he no. overturned down. I mean, this this was Rome, ancient AIDS. These were, these were probably stone tables probably. or big old huge slab tables. So, and also him burying the cross, even after being scourged, like I said, to the point of death. We looked at the scourge. We see how it opened. I mean, the Bible says you can see every one of his bones. His back, his legs, and his arms were laid open. And he was still able to pick up this cross and carry it up a hill to Gagatha. Uh, at least probably way before Simon was forced to help him. But so, you know, he, he was, yeah, he was, he was a strong individual inside and out. <clears throat> this course leads us to chapter 12. Uh, Satan hates us. I'm sure that should come, the statement should come, no surprise to anybody. He really, really, really hates us. He hates you and me with a passion. Never forget the three words, if you love and follow Christ Jesus, Satan hates you. Satan wants nothing more than to sabotage our love of God and for others, to tempt us into moral catastrophe and to see us chosen, choose a lifestyle of sin rather than walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Satan's number one goal? Satan wanted more than anything else. The attention that people gave to God, he wanted for himself. He wanted people to worship God. And that's what he's still wanting you now. He don't want you following God's law and worshiping God by doing so. He wants you sinning because when we sin, we worship him. When we sin, we're worshiping the devil because we're following his rules rather than God. When we falter, he stands ready to accuse us before God. When we pass the test of temptation, he looks beyond that and is already strategizing his next attack. Satan's hatred of us is relentless. Most often his methods are indirect, uh, establishing and fortifying moral pitfalls in the world to lure, snare, destroy unsuspecting Christians. All he has to do is sit back and laugh as people wander headlong into his uh, sinister traps. I picture him like me, uh, one time, Grandma had a Siamese kitten that come to the yard, and my Aunt Jenny decided she wanted that cat. So we had old metal wash tub, so I propped it up like Elmer Fudd, put a skillet of gravy underneath of it, crawled behind the outhouse with the string, and waited for that cat to go in there, and then pulled a little string. That's Satan. Satan's just sitting there, just getting as can be, seeing us dance all around that skillet, waiting for us to go in there so he can pull that thing and trap us. He, he, he just loves it, loves it, and made her than anything else. 
But sometimes his methods are more direct in bringing made-to-order temptations into our lives to deceive us. The truth is that if God were to allow it, Satan would unleash his entire arsenal against humanity, marching both spiritual and physical armies across the face of the earth to destroy all men, women, and children. Satan's ultimate evil empire has been spreading its influence for thousands of years, masquerading as active, uh, attractive angels of light. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 14 uh, says that plainly. Satan rarely exposes his demonic empire to the truth of life. But a day is coming when God will remove his restraining power from the earth, and Satan will be allowed to run amok for a brief season. Paul writes about the future removal of God's restraining force in the second, uh, second Thessalonians 2, 6 and 8. And you know what's restraining him now, so that his time will be revealed. For the mystery of the lawless is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. At that time, deception, destruction, and despair will ravage the planet. But even then, Satan's acts will be those of a desperate villain who knows his time is short. Down through the ages, people have played into Satan's hands by falling into one of two errors in thinking about the devil and about Satan. In a classic book, uh, book The Screwtape <coughs> by C.S. Lewis, mentioned these extremes. There are two equal and opposite errors about Satan. One is to believe... Uh, one is to believe in their existence. The other is to believe and is not to believe in their existence. And the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We want to study. We want to know all about them and see all about them. Uh, we see the second one been going on for years and years and years in our country. Uh, start out with songs like the Rolling Stones, Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, now we see movies like the Adam Sandler movie, Little Nicky. Where he portrays Satan's son, and you know, in a funny, sympathetic, sympathetic light. Uh, more recently, there's a, a Netflix series which is, I think, in the top series of things viewed, uh, called uh, Lucifer, in which they they paint Lucifer as this dark hero, this great, wonderful thing of person, instead of what he really is. Uh, now schools, and when I'm talking about California, I'm talking about right over in Virginia. Now schools have after-school Satan clubs. Where Satan people worshippers come in and have class and activities for kids, and this is allowed on school. This, this isn't something far away. This is, this is just Virginia. Hollywood and media companies are following the same path, uh, normalizing things uh, forever and ever, like the Harry Potter things, Bewitched, you know, all these different things, all these different ways they've been normalizing Satan, normalizing witchcraft, and all these things, and making it something where people are more comfortable with the subject. And less fearful of it. Uh, but we can't fall into either one. We have to realize, yes, he is there. Yes, he is real. But we cannot become too fascinated with him or paint him in a pretty light. <clears throat> Understand that Satan is neither all-powerful nor completely powerless. Uh, will help us to get, come to terms with the real challenges we face if we do battle with Satan's evil empire. In its current form. I say current form because it's important to understand that Satan's ability to unleash his fury on God's people is limited in this present age, the Bible tells us. However, one day is coming when that limitation will be took off of him and he will be allowed to 
unleash a, a horrible, horrible wrath. With that mind up, we're going to go ahead and we're going to read chapter 12. Uh, and then, which chapter 12 is kind of going to be a little bit of a backstory. It's going to tell us a little bit what's happening, but then it's going to kind of go back and tell us about what happened to Satan. And in this part two, uh, we're also going to be looking at, without getting too distracted, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the different classes of angels, what they're called in the Bible, and their roles and stuff too. So, But we'll go ahead and get started. I'll read chapter 12, and that's probably about all we'll have time to do. But before we go ahead and read it, then uh, pick up a little bit of it if we can. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his head were the twelve, uh, seven diamonds. His tail swept away a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So that when she gave birth... He might devour her, her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for forty, be nourished for one thousand two hundred and sixty days, which is forty-two months. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his archangels waging war against the dragon. The dragon and his angel waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, was, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, was thrown down to the earth. And the angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power of the kingdom of God, the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of their brethren has been thrown down, and he accuses them before he who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath knowing that he, had, he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who had gave birth to the male child. But the, two, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness in her plate, to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and time and a half. That's three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with, with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, some translations will have a verse 18 that says the serpent stood on the sandy shore of the sea. And some translations won't have that. It's omitted in some, some it's not. So if your Bible doesn't have verse 18, it's, it's, don't worry about it. Some translations have it and some of the uh, older ones do. So. 
so we'll go ahead and stop there. The next week, we're going to pick up a chapter 12 and uh, kind of break it down like we've been doing. We'll start off with the woman and what she represents. Uh, and as always, we'll let the Bible be its own interpreter. Uh, and we'll see that this is there's no mystery to this at all. Thank you, Lord.